Welcome to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting-edge information as they plan their 3- to 10-year business succession and exit. Every week, we interview top professional advisors for their best tips, strategies, and precautions so you can be well-planned. And don't miss our one-minute Exit Coach tip of the day on ExitCoachRadio.com. And now, here's your host, the Exit Coach, Bill Black. Welcome, everyone. Hey, it's a pleasure to have you with us. Uh, we have a great guest coming up. Uh, before I get to that, I want to mention uh, our new book, 100 Words from 100 Advisors, is available now at ExitCoachRadio.com. It's excerpts from 100 of our guests, each uh, each about 100 words. Not exactly 100 words, but about 100 words. You get the gist. They're the gems of of the hundreds and hundreds of interviews we've had on Exit Coach Radio. I'm very excited about it. Hope you'll go there. You can also text Exit Coach, all one word with no spaces, Exit Coach to 44222 to get your copy at a discounted rate for a limited time. So please join us uh, there and, and get our information to go in book form. My uh, next guest has been with us before, a very interesting gentleman. Alan Bolio uh, is the president of ITR Economics in Manchester, New Hampshire, and he is uh, also a Vistage International speaker. So if you're a member of that group, you're, gonna, you're in for a treat. You're going to get to hear his views on economic forecasting. And again, we've talked before. Uh, this will be an interesting interview. Uh, Alan, glad to have you joining us again. Hi, Bill. Glad to be back. How have you been? Good. It's been a while. We talked, uh, I think it was last May, and, um, and uh, we were talking about the forecasts for an economic uh, meltdown uh, of, of economic of, of uh, epidemic proportions. Let me put it that way. And things have happened. Th things have happened since then. And, and I'm interested to get your take on that. Uh, and also um, what you see, or if we're still on track for all of that, Alan, but great to have you back. Tell us a little bit about you and ITR economics before we get into the meat of the matter. Sure. ITR Economics is a consulting firm headquartered in New Hampshire, but we have clients around the world. We we go around the world meeting with clients and boards and, and such. And um, as such, we try to reduce risk. We do reduce risk by uh, parsing out what will be happening in the future, what a business can do in anticipation of those changes or at least should be aware of. So you set your sales according to prevailing and future wins as opposed to just kind of hoping for the best as you go forward. We've been doing this a long time. Uh, my brother and I are the principals, but there are 37 of us at ITR with an accuracy rate of 94.7%, 12 quarters into the future for the last 30 years on everything we forecast. So, Interesting. Proud wow. Yeah. That's a great record. And so how do you communicate your findings to individuals? How do they get in touch and find out about it? Uh, well, we have a, a couple of subscription products at itreconomics.com. There are some samples there. There's a four-page one, and then there's a much larger one, much more in-depth one, uh, annual subscriptions there. We also do one-on-one uh, -on -one consulting with clients and with trade associations where we provide quarterly reports or annual updates or uh, semi-annual visits. It all depends on the particular engagement. Okay, I just it's, wanted it's to get to that up front. 
because uh, for for our listeners, you know, you may be saying, you know, this is interesting stuff, but this is only for the big boys. But this is not what you guys do. Is you you look out and get all this information, and then you boil it down so that the uh, an average consumer can p- take a look at this and go, uh, uh, you know, I need to I need to know this information. So let's talk about your the economic forecasting. Um, what do you see happening? Uh, right now and are we still on track for well tell us a little bit about what your forecast was uh, last time we talked and, and carry it forward if you will sure i'd be happy to and to your prior comment by the way that's uh, spot on because that's actually where we can't have their own economists or need an outside voice or it's just you know they don't have their own cmo they don't have their own economists we provide that that function so uh, they need it as much as, as anybody else but uh, when we spoke last, uh, we talked about an economy that would be expanding. We talked about uh, a global economy that would be providing opportunities, and uh, through most of 2015, that was certainly the case. Well, we always look at our track record, and we just looked at, because data now is available through December, and for last year, from China to Europe to the U.S. to South America, you know, we have accuracy rates of 97% or better. Uh, last year tracked as we thought, including some softness there at the end. The, w- the one thing that didn't go according to plan was oil. A lot of politics mm. there. Not, not a lot of economics, but a whole lot of politics there mm-hmm. going on. But fortunately, uh, you know, with the rate of change on inventory levels is beginning to come down and you know, price uh, pressures are beginning to move up. You probably noticed as well as I have, oil today is up to $38 and change and uh, mm-hmm. We're going to keep seeing it, you know, bounce around. Nothing in economics moves in a straight line, but uh, higher oil prices as the world, especially world oil-producing countries, just can't afford to keep this nonsense up. It makes no economic sense at all to keep producing at these price points. None. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, it, it hurts a lot of people that are related to the oil industry, of course, and the energy industry, uh, and uh, you know, from a consumer standpoint, we we you know, pump our fists because we're getting cheaper gas, but uh, we don't realize the overall impact this has um, to the economic uh, world overall. Well, you're right, and it can be very destabilizing uh, to the world, as strange as that seems, because when you have major nations, oil-producing nations like Russia, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Nigeria, all feeling a lot of pain off of today's oil prices, you know, that's destabilizing. The Middle East is not known for stability to begin with, and neither is Russia. So when you mm-hmm. add in the, the, the extreme economic pressures of today's pricing, it's like, you know, you got to be kidding me. This is a prescription for disaster. So uh, unless we have people out there who are rooting for war and, and distress in the Middle East and in Russia, uh, this uh, price rise is a very good thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we're, you know, we were talking last time about a further out uh, around 2030, uh, a Great Depression, and um, so how how have things lined up towards then? I mean, I mean, we're, we're that's looking very long term, and then I want to bring it back down to the the current. But are we still on track for 2030 Great Depression? Do you think? Yes, we are. I almost said, well, happily so. But I guess that's a little bit macabre, but, <laughs> but everybody <laughs> likes to be right in my business. So, <laughs> yeah, on right. Forecasting, on a forecasting basis, things are working out terrifically. <laughs> um, <laughs> Great. A, a lot of <laughs> no. Sell the farm. <laughs> well, or live on the farm. Or keep the farm. <laughs> keep the farm. Sell the factory. Keep the farm. Sell yeah. the condo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's, 
you know, it's a question of debt and demographics, and nothing nothing has improved. As a matter of fact, if you look at the uh, debt that we are taking on, it's it's increasing, and uh, it's it's affordable right now. It pays really low interest rates. It's a uh, bargain uh, bargain basement borrowing, but uh, the Fed will be moving rates, and central banks around the world will. But our central bank will go first, and we're going to. Uh, see that the cost of this borrowing is really prohibitive. The Congressional Budget Office, who are naturally conservative, estimate that by 2035, which I know 20 years sounds like a long time, but it goes by in a flash, will take up 25% of the federal budget. And they're conservative. So that's a staggering amount, just to put it in context. That's like talking Greece. That's like talking, uh, you know, a a nation that has gone past the edge of the precipice and, and only faces an economic abyss. And with healthcare costs, the demographic portion around the world consuming more and more of the world's GDP, with no tax coming back and with no uh, really input into it, just entitlement at that point, we can not argue unless you want to about whether it's earned or whether it's good or bad. We don't want to put moral values to it, at least I don't. But that's a real drain. In the United States, uh, we have a very rich program, and it's going to cost about 50% of the federal budget when we Mm. get to the 2030s. So. I mean, how do you sustain that economic model? Well, and put that into, into, family ter- into a family's terms, you're paying 25% for your credit card interest, and you're paying uh, 50% for for health care costs. Yeah, that's 75% of your budget, and you're, you're really not getting anywhere. You're not – you're protecting with your health care, but you're, uh, you're just paying off – you're not servicing the debt so much. You're just, you're just paying the interest on it. Well, that's right. And then the car breaks. So where are you going to get the money to repair the car? (laughs) Sell the condo. (laughs) Well, I mean, we we still got Mount Rushmore. We can sell that, right? Do we still have that as an asset? (laughs) That's right. And by then we may be able to, you know, uh, spin off Cuba. Who knows? (laughs) Yeah, we'll put advertising on the president's faces. There you go. So we'll we'll sell advertising. (laughs) Yeah. You know, that same prescription we just discussed, it's even worse in Japan. It's terrible in China. Russia's worse. Uh, we have demographic issues in Germany and the U.K. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's a global issue, and those key nations I just described are very important economies, very important uh, trading partners to the United States, not Russia, but the others are important trading partners. So, uh, you know, this is a global problem that we're facing. And, and so to go back to your question, since we last talked, things are tracking as we thought they would, uh, and in conjunction with what we discussed in our book, which is called Prosperity in the Age of Decline. And we call it that because if you know what's going on, you can actually prosper by knowing that and protect your business and your family and your children, your grandchildren. I mean, the book was written, my brother and I wrote the book, uh, my brother Brian, uh, not my older brother, and we did this in conjunction with the idea of what would we want our kids to know, uh, what do we want our people around us to know so that this does not become a painful event. Uh, and the, the genesis from this, if I may, Bill, was uh, years ago when my mother was still alive, my brother and I asked her what was the Great Depression like, and she said, we never knew at home. Your grandfather just was was great at his job and at preparing, and, and we never felt the Great Depression in our household, and, and we just thought, wow, what a great thing. Can we help other people so that they see this next Great Depression through the same lens? You know, we never felt it because we were ready for it. Yeah, well, that's, 
important to pass on that information. And I guess it's probably easier to hide what was going on on the outside back during the Great Depression years. You didn't have so much uh, information at the ready. Uh, what about uh, the short term? We have a presidential election coming up. And by the way, you know, I wanted to ask you before that, the huge impact that the baby boomer generation now reaching age 70, the, er, the, the earliest baby boomers are now reaching age 70. And you think about what happens when you reach between 65 and 70. You don't want to go invest heavily in the stock market. You want to start to get more conservative. You want to turn it into income. You want to preserve. You spend less. That impact is being felt all over the world, but it's really just beginning, isn't it? Yes. You're absolutely right. Although, you know, that's rational thinking, and I'm always a little hesitant to employ rational thinking on everyone. You know, I'm always surprised. <laughs> but <laughs> what you said makes a lot of sense. Although I wonder, uh, Bill, if because so many people uh, have been caught in some downdrafts, and because a lot of people are underprepared for retirement, whether a rising stock market, even as they're approaching 70, will tempt them to keep too much in the market. Uh, so if they keep what you and I as uh, investment advisors would call is too much in the market, that'll keep anything quickly uh, from happening quickly. Any large downdrafts will be somewhat mitigated and delayed. So I don't think we're going to look at a, a stock market disaster. I think we're going to just look at a population that hangs on longer and we slowly transition uh, into another market. Because traditionally we go into bonds and you don't want to be in bonds. There's no yield. going up. Yeah. 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 So, well, and there's no yield to begin with. So there's no yeah. yield to begin with. So basically, the government, through its its uh, policy manipulation, took away those yields to keep interest rates low to stimulate the economy. If they kept it there too long, that's up for debate. But they've taken away the so so people forget, uh, and they look at their 401k statement and they go, well, there's no money down. There's no money to be made at the bottom half of the statement where the bonds and the money market rates are. So I'm going to move it back up into the market, and uh, I just wonder if it's just a recipe for disaster. But so let's let's talk about this. So we have the presidential election coming up. How does that change in your near-term forecast? It does not. Um, no matter who's elected, we're not going to change our forecast simply because a new president rarely comes in and has a major economic bang. Uh, they may threaten all kinds of things on the way in, but most things have to get past Congress. There's some things you can do by executive order, but I'm not sure either or any of the candidates are big into executive orders given what's been going on uh, recently. So our study show it takes 18 months. So a major piece of legislation, hmm. even something as fast as June 17, that doesn't impact until 19. So uh, nothing through the near term, uh, unless it's a dramatic foreign policy initiative, uh, new wars, think in terms of new wars, alienating the rest of the world, embracing the rest of the world. I mean, it can go either way, but on the domestic front, not likely to change our forecast. Well, certain candidates are certainly doing a lot to help in the alienation of uh, of our relationships <laughs> <laughs> with others. So we're not going to name names, of course not. But and certain candidates think that uh, any executive order they give is going to immediately be met with uh, uh, welcome arms. Um, so so let's talk about uh, uh, we've seen this bump in the road at the end of the year, a soft end of the year, a very soft beginning of the year. Is th Do you guys see this year coming back up to 
to to level out to single digits or or is zero the new hero or where do we go from here for this year do you think <laughs> single digits would be the uh, quick answer for that and uh, readers to our ITR trends report we just had our monthly issue come out on the 9th uh, the executive summary was all about why and and the rates of change, which are a key metric, and the lead indicators, which are obviously great foretellers of what will be the positive things going on there and, and why we're at the initial uh, stages of that transition to, from that softness you really described really well to uh, increased uh, opportunities, more economic activities that will start in the uh, around the middle of the year build momentum in the third quarter and be even stronger in the fourth quarter so that we end up uh, on the positive side in single digits. And we're going to probably look back and go, really glad the first half is over with. Hope I get more of the second. And I think the good news is going to last into 17 quite well. Is is the outlook, uh, did the government, uh, did the Fed, let me say, did the Fed raise interest rates so that they have some kind of uh, give back if a recession hits? Was that a primary driver or was it really time to raise interest rates? Both. And I know that sounds horribly like an economist who's trying to equivocate, but uh, it, in and of itself, the 25 basis points was not enough. They need to have, you know, two or 300 basis points so they can get to the point where they can yeah. uh, lower them again to stimulate. So it, it's a long yeah. road that began uh, last in December. But yeah. inflation's beginning to heat up a little. If you look at the consumer price index urban areas rate of growth, it's, it's popped its head to 1.4%. Um, if you look at shelter costs, transportation costs, medical costs, apparel costs, the, the lines on that, some of them are still below zero, but they're moving up. And, and like transportation and medical are both 3-plus percent above year-ago levels. So there are inflationary pressures building, and the Fed will have lots of cover to raise rates later this year. Uh, I think it'll be the second half, and it wouldn't surprise me if it waited until September. Mm -hmm. But I think by then they'll have plenty of excuse and room to raise rates 25 bips and then another 25 basis points later in the year. Uh, I, you know, And that's what they're signaling. Um, so yeah. it doesn't take a lot to go with the Fed on this since they're the ones who make the decision. Yeah, great, great. Uh, you always put it so clearly, Alan. I really appreciate it. Um, really helps our listeners to make sense out of of this, uh, you know, what they hear and what they see out there. And they really, uh, I want to tell our listeners, you really should check out um, the uh, the book that comes out of um, ITR Economics. So go to itreconomics.com and you'll find all the materials. And uh, tell us one more time, what's What's the name? What 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 do you think if they were to choose one thing from your website to start to get to know you guys? What would you suggest that they do? <sighs> Toughest question of all. Pick a favorite. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think prosperity in the age of decline because it sets the stage for why things will be good for the next fifteen years, and then why things are going to go horribly wrong. It gives you a nice macro context from which then start thinking the shorter term, right? And once I know the, the, the wall color, now I can start putting the, the, the wall hangings up, which is the, the shorter term tacticals. Um, and I think that would be a good approach. And it deals a lot with uh, people's hesitancy to believe those things and myths that are alive. I'll, I'll give you one uh, that I'm thinking of that, that came to mind, Bill. Uh, Gallup poll showed that 53% of America thinks China is a larger economic entity than the United States. They just believe China is the world's economic superpower. And yet, on a you know, GDP basis, we are 70% larger than they are. 
and, and so a lot of America just doesn't understand the strength and power in our country. And when you don't understand that, and this is not patriotism, by the way, it's just fact. When when you don't understand that, you don't set big, hairy, audacious goals. You think timidly, you, you, and I don't mean this in a terribly disparaging way, but you start thinking uh, in terms of, of a union, uh, not union, a European environment where, where you know, well, we're not going to get much growth, better not risk much, better not do much. And that's exactly what you achieve when those when that's your outlook. But if you look at that job growth, it's strong, and we've never had more people employed. We've never had more open jobs in America than we have now. We wages are going up. Middle class is not disappearing. When we look at manufacturing doing so well in the United States, and the things we're making here that we were told would be gone forever, uh, you you come away going, but gosh, the opportunities here are are immense. And uh, so you have that context to work from. Now you're ready to go to work and lead and make decisions. And, and we have clients who do that all the time, and, and investors who do that. And, uh, you know, it's a powerful way to look at life. Folks, if you want perspective, go to itreconomics.com. Alan Bolio, thanks so much for joining us again. It's a real pleasure to talk with you. I'm sorry the time goes by so fast, but it was a blast. And uh, uh, I hope our listeners will take advantage of the uh, the the offerings that you have on your website and hope you'll come back and join us again sometime soon. Anytime. Thank you, Bill. Take care. All right. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back after this. So stay with us. Hi, everybody. This is Spike Rio for The Exit Coach. Business owners, can you name the eight key value drivers that you and your managers should be focusing on to increase the value of your business? Introducing the Sellability Score Index. Visit our website and answer 25 questions about your business, and you will instantly receive your sellability score, showing you how well you stack up in the eight value driver areas. It's a great management tool. It's absolutely free for our listeners. Just visit ExitCoachRadio.com and click Get My Sellability Score. Does thinking about what will happen to your business if you're gone keep you awake at night? Will you get the price you need from your business to carry you through retirement? The BEI Network of Exit Planning Professionals is the world's leading advisor network with the power to help business owners transition out of business on their own timeline and terms. Ask your most trusted advisor to create a BEI plan for you or visit us at ExitPlanning.com. That's ExitPlanning.com. 